when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine to drink. But then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider the narrative of this intriguing story, we pray as always for insight and understanding on who you are and on who we are and on the relationship that you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're glad that uh, you are here with us today, here on Zoom, I mean. Uh, as uh, we will talk about in a few minutes, we are going to start meeting in person, at least for one of our services here in just a couple of weeks, but until then, we're glad that we can have Zoom, and we look forward to continuing both Zoom and in person on for the ages of com to come. And so, again, we are glad that uh, everyone has joined us uh, today, and uh, thank you for bearing with us for some of the tech challenges each week. It's something new that Zoom throws at us, but uh, we're going to continue to figure this out. It was so great to see Rob. Rob, thanks for doing three questions today. I still am not over the donut thing, so I'm going to try to I'm going to push on despite that, uh, that disappointing news. But uh, Rob, great to see you. Love to the family. And uh, again, good morning to everyone as uh, we are gathered here to together. Well, this is our last sermon in our spring series on the resurrection. Of course, this is not the last time we'll be talking about the resurrection, but we've been focusing on it for the last couple of months. Next week, Michelle is going to get us started on our new series, 
as we head into the summer season on the subject of fear, something that I think we desperately need to talk about, Michelle, who is here with us. Um, it seems like so much of what's going on in the world today is uh, rooted in fear, so many decisions rooted in fear, both uh, globally, but also in our individual experiences that we got to figure out what uh, the Bible has to say about dealing with fear. So looking forward to starting that uh, next week. And so this week, again, talking about these last events around the resurrection. And so uh, you may know that this week Christians around the globe observe the day of Pentecost, which comes 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus and 10 days after his ascension. And so our text today recounts that event, and it was definitely a dramatic scene. The disciples had been huddled together in their apartment for 10 days since the ascension of Jesus. We're told earlier in Acts that they had seen Jesus ascend in the clouds, and then they went back and spent 10 days praying together, and that's where we find them huddled in, uh, in their room or on the deck or, or somewhere in this, uh, in this place that they had rented, and God shows up in the form of the Spirit. And so they had been praying and encouraging other and waiting for the Spirit to come, and it did come in very dramatic fashion. Luke tells us, the author of Acts, that it was like tongues of fire. The disciples were then given the ability to be heard in languages, even though they hadn't learned that language. You know, it was like Google Translate, but much, much more effective. They spoke in their language. This is the idea. They spoke in their language, but the people who spoke other languages heard them in their home language, in their native tongue. And of course, this drew the attention of many of the guests who were visiting Jerusalem from all over the world for Shavuot, the uh, Jewish Feast of Weeks, which you may know commemorates the anniversary of the giving of the Torah by God to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. So it was a festival. It was a time when a lot of people were in the city, and uh, this, uh, this, this ability that the disciples had been given to be able to un- be understood by people caused uh, or, or was made notice. And so people gathered around. They wanted to hear what was going on. And so this impromptu gathering stirred enough interest that people gathered to hear what the disciples were saying. Now, Peter, who later becomes famous for this, recognized that uh, what was going on, and he jumped in. He first wanted to respond to the critics who were claiming the dis- disciples were maybe drunk, uh, claiming, you know, it's only nine in the morning, you don't get drunk by then. And so he jumps in to explain that. But he also wants to talk about Jesus and what has happened to them. And so he starts his explanation uh, quoting a familiar messianic prophecy from a somewhat obscure prophet who had lived six to eight hundred years before the events of Acts chapter 2. And the prophecy, again, is from Joel chapter 2. And it says, again, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. It's again a direct quote from Joel chapter 2. And so uh, according to Peter, who again was quoting uh, Joel, calling on the name of the Lord is the essential action of a person who wants to survive the tumultuous times of the last days. And it's important to note here that Joel and then Peter is, in essence, identifying the last days as starting upon Jesus' arrival. And so they lived in the, in the last days. So the last days have been going on for a very long time, since Jesus was around. Uh, but in reading this passage as I was preparing for today, I was actually reminded of another passage that comes from Jesus' most famous sermon, and it's found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we, didn't we prophesy in your name, and didn't we drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so here we have Peter in his sermon saying that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jesus earlier had said there will be some people who will call Lord, Lord, who he's going to say, I didn't know you at all. And so which is it? Jesus, who says not everyone who says Lord, Lord will be saved, or Peter, who is quoting Joel, who says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can see my dilemma as I was preparing. I've got to figure this out. I'm going to come here and talk before you. we got Michelle here. we got some accountability. i got to figure out what's going on here. And so what's, the, what's going on between Matthew chapter 7 and Acts chapter 2? And so as it turns out, this idea of calling on the name is actually an idiom used throughout the Bible, but specifically in the New Testament. And so calling on the name, the idiom, actually means to appeal to a higher authority or call on the testimony of someone else. So Peter, in his first sermon, is saying anyone who calls on the authority and testimony of Jesus will be rescued, will be saved. Anyone who makes an appeal of God to the work of Jesus will not be left alone. And so this contrasts directly with what what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus was talking about something entirely different. Those who say, Lord, Lord, but then it's clear that they want to draw attention to their own actions because they say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in, in your name? And so there's a distinct difference between the appeals to God in Acts chapter 2, our text of emphasis, and Matthew chapter 7. One is an appeal to the authority of God and to the testimony of Jesus. The other is an appeal to consider the supposed righteous or moral work of the person themselves. One appeal works, the other leads Jesus to say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, Jesus is clear. The righteous, moral, or good works of any person is not sufficient to rescue us from the mess that we find ourselves in in this broken world. 
and appealing to some good deed we might have done uh, once isn't going to help us get out of the mess that we're in. Isaiah, another ancient uh, prophet of old, he said it like this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our good acts, all of our moral acts, all of our righteous acts are actually like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's disturbing. That's Isaiah 64 and verse 6. All our righteous acts, all our good acts are like filthy rags. The illustration here is actually one of, of excrement, the word that literally refers to that idea. So filthy rags, it's a little gross. But Isaiah is actually saying your righteous acts are kind of like used toilet paper. Isaiah said it, I didn't, gross. And, but you think about it, and he's not wrong. And so this brings us to the TV show Friends. You know, there is a, a, a reunion a friend, you remember the TV show Friends from the 90s and the 2000s? Well, they're, apparently they're getting back together. I was not a huge uh, Friends fan, but they're getting back together. It's a big deal. Everyone who is a Friends fanatic, uh, very excited about this. But I actually remember, when I was reading this, remembered one episode that really stood out to me, and so we have it here for you today. So Rodrigo is going to play an episode of Friends. Can you hit it, Rodrigo? Sorry, Phoebes. I just, you know, I just wanted to do a good deed, like, like you did with the babies. This isn't a good deed. You just want to get on TV. This is totally selfish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about you having those babies for your brother? Talk about selfish. What, what are you talking about? Uh, well, yeah, it was a really nice thing and all, but it made you feel really good, right? Yeah, so? Well, it made you feel good, so that makes it selfish. Look, there's no unselfish good deeds, sorry. Yes, there are. There are totally good deeds that are selfless. Well, may I ask for one example? Yeah, it's, you know, there's... No, you may not. That's because all people are selfish. Are you calling me selfish? Are you calling you people? <laughs> yeah, well, sorry to burst that bubble, Phoebes, but selfless good deeds don't exist. Okay? And you know the deal on Santa Claus, right? I'm gonna find a selfless good deed. I'm gonna beat you, you evil genius. <laughs> Joey the philosopher or the theologian. But you know what? He, he's not wrong. I don't know if the writers, they had read Isaiah, but he's, he's not wrong. Isaiah supports Joey's argument. Our good deeds, actually, they're, they're rooted in self, and they're, according to Isaiah, like filthy, dirty, disgusting rags. And so the solution to this dilemma of our, our works and their inability to help us is presented by Peter when he says, what are we going to do? When we're facing times of tur tur turmoil, we've got to call on the name of the Lord. God's work is the only solution to the problem. Inviting Jesus to be our substitute instead of appealing to our own actions to validate our worthiness is our only hope. Peter is saying, just call on the authority of Jesus. And so Peter is asserting a very simple idea in his first sermon, his first gospel sermon, that anyone who trusts in God and appeals to the authority of God will be rescued, will be saved. 
Now, uh, this isn't some kind of magic that by, by just saying the name of Jesus, magic things happen. Uh, this is the language of making an appeal. Anyone who appeals to authority and testimony of Jesus will be saved. It's not magic. It's an appealing to a higher authority. Now, great time to clarify the idea of being saved. There are two parts to this. Saved in the final sense is from eternal death, that great enemy of humankind. Uh, but there's also a, an element, that, and that happens at some point in the future when Jesus returns and those who have embraced him, they are saved from eternal death. But there's also a sense of being saved that happens right now in the present and implies the work of transformation that God works in the human heart when the spirit is active in a person. And so making that distinction that saving, rescuing from eternal death, that is something that happens and is going to happen. But there's also an element of saving that takes place right now as God works inside of us. And so the implication is that calling on the name of the Lord has implications for both forms of saving, the future saving and also the present saving. And so calling on Jesus as our authority and our validation helps us, not just at some future point when we need it to be rescued from eternal death, but also helps us now as we desire to live lives of worth and value, serving and doing good works. If you are in a court case and you call on the witness of Jesus, this is the, the language is the languages of, of, of court. If you call on a author, higher authority, the idea is that you are going to win. So this is great news, fabulous news. But it leads to the question, why, why with this reality would any of us appeal to our own works? If all that we have to do is call on the name of, of, of Jesus to be rescued and to be saved, well, why would we refer to ourselves? Why would we have to point to some spiritual action that we've, we've done, casting out demons or, or, or leading others to, to go to church or whatever spiritual thing that we come up with? Why would we do this if Peter is saying all we need to do is call on the name of the Lord? That's a, a fundamental question that we've got to wrestle with. Why are we compelled to prove our validity to God and others using our own actions. Why don't we just call on the name of Jesus? Well, as always, a bunch of responses. I have three for you. Firstly, we, we make it more difficult because we are unaccustomed to this grace, to this ability to call on someone else in other areas of our lives. To, to everyone else here on planet Earth, especially here in a place like New York, we don't have the ability to just call on someone else and they're going to fill in for our inadequacies. We don't get that advantage. We have to prove our own validity. We live in a culture that is all about validating ourselves through our work, through our bank account, through our relationships. It's these things in which our identity is, is rooted. And so appealing to the witness and the work of another person isn't going to work for most of us in our workplace. If you go to work and you do a bad job, but then you appeal to the awesome job that someone else does, uh, that's probably not going to go very well for you. In fact, you're probably going to find yourself 
without a, the job, and the other person is going to get a raise. And so this idea of being able to appeal to someone else, unless you have lived a very privileged life, uh, you're not going to be able to appeal to someone else. If your work is terrible, calling on the name of your coworker isn't going to help you. And so the way in which the world works here for, for most of us, this idea is just to, of, of being able to call on, on the authority of someone else and that that's going to help us. It doesn't work for us. And so we are unaccustomed to that, and it's hard to wrap our minds around the fact that, uh, that calling on the authority of someone else actually can help us. And so, again, difficult to wrap our minds around. Uh, secondly, we have a, a difficult time grasping the simplicity of this uh, command of, of Peter because we have underestimated the mess that we are in. Y'all, we are in a mess. This isn't something that's going to just be fixed e easily. I mean, not just the world is in a mess, and by all accounts, the world is in a mess. But you are in a mess, and I am in a mess. We aren't the people that we want to be. We have things about us that we would like to see changed, and, and uh, we work on and we try to change, and yet things oftentimes don't get better, or we get better for a little bit, and then we fall back into a place that we don't want to be. And so we're in a desperate, desperate situation. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that we all are aware of what kind of mess we are truly in. And so I was thinking about this, and I asked my wife, you know, I need an illustration. Can you, can you, do you remember a time when uh, you and I underestimated uh, a mess that we were in? And she uh, immediately reminded me of an experience that we had up in Maine. I don't know if Grace and Catherine and family are on, our friends up in, in Maine, but if, if they are on, they probably are familiar with, with what's called the 100-mile wilderness. And somewhere out in the 100-mile wilderness is Mount Katahdin. And it's beautiful. And my wife and I, in our younger and more foolish days, along with a friend of ours who lives in Maine, decided that we were going to, uh, without any mountaineering experience, we were going to climb Mount Katahdin. And so we drove into the 100-mile wilderness, and we parked our car, and we slept in the car that evening, which was not smart. And then we got up, and we hiked in toward the mountain. And I don't, it took us like eight hours to get from the car to the base of the mountain. And then we foolishly decided, well, we can, we can do this. We missed a sign somehow that was the easier route, and we ended up on the not easy route. And I just remember climbing and climbing, and about two hours from sunset, we arrived at the top of the mountain. And it was about then... We were out of water, we were limping, our friend was limping, he was having to walk backwards because his calf had been pulled. It was about then that we started to realize what a mess we were in, in the midst of the 100-mile wilderness, on the top of a mountain that had taken us an, an inordinate amount of time to get to. It was now dawning on us that we were in a mess. <laughs> I won't bore you with the rest of the story. It involved an emergency room, it involved running completely out of water, involved some dehydration. It was a rather miserable experience. 
But the point being here is sometimes, sometimes we, we are in a mess and we don't realize it. And by the time we realize it, it's too late. Well, this is kind of like our situation. We are in a mess. The world is broken. We are broken. And we're not going to get out of the mess on our own. That's the message of the, the gospel. This is a mess that you cannot get out of on your own. The brokenness of the world, the brokenness of our human hearts is beyond repair. No good deed, no sacrificial giving, no amount of attending a, 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 a religious gathering, no healthy eating, no spiritual living is going to fix the mess in which we are in. The only solution, according to Peter, is that we call on the authority of Jesus and his work. That is the only hope we have of reconciling the mess that we are in, the world and each of us in our broken human hearts. We have to appeal to a higher authority. That's all we've got. We're not going to fix this mess by being more spiritual or getting it figured out somehow. We don't have the capacity for that. Finally, we don't just call on the authority of Jesus and we keep relying on our own validation through our own works because if we're honest we don't really trust that God can do or will do what he's promised you know for some of us this idea of God stepping in is just too good to be true what shall we say then this is uh, a quote from the apostle Paul he says what shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. But why? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by their good works. They stumble over the stumbling stone. I like this illustration of a, a something, a stone that you trip over. I don't know, I've got a lot, of, a lot of kids, and that means that there are always things on the ground, and sometimes I know the things are there. I know the Legos are there. I know the shoe is there. Not where it's supposed to, but it's there. And I trip over it, even though I know it's there. I'm, I keep tripping over it over and over again, and then I pick it up, and somehow it ends up back there. This is the imagery that Paul is getting us when he's talking about the gospel. They, they, they knew about it, but they kept falling over it. That the, the, the good news is like that. It's, it's, it's unavoidable, but we, we have a hard time like recognizing and acknowledging and embracing it and being prepared for it, and we may just believe it, it can't be real, but we keep tripping over it. And so we keep trying to validate our existence through the work that we do, but it never, never fills that hole that we have in our human heart that is longing for something more. And so we have a difficult time with trust that God, God can take care of us. And so with all of this in mind, what's the solution? Where do we, where do we, where, where do we go? What do we do? Well, Peter, again, makes it clear. The only thing we can do, the only thing that we can do is confess faith in Jesus. According to Peter, in quoting Joel, there will be a lot of crazy and amazing things that happen as we continue to approach the return of Jesus. 
But the one thing that we can put our faith in is the authority of God, and that authority will validate our own beings. We can be validated by Jesus, who died on the cross, rested on the Sabbath day in the grave, rose early on the first day of the week, spent 40 days appearing to his disciples, and then ascended to be with the Father in heaven while leaving us, his disciples, with the powerful gift of his Holy Spirit, those tongues of fire. And so, how do we learn to continue to appeal to the authority of Jesus when we can't validate ourselves? Well, when you aren't feeling good enough about yourself, call on the name of Jesus. Call to the authority of Jesus. When you are feeling good enough about yourself, call on the name and authority of Jesus. When you condemn yourself, call on the name of Jesus. When you praise yourself, call on the name of Jesus. When you feel inadequate, call on the name of Jesus. When you are feeling like a champion, Time to call on the name of Jesus. When you are trying to be a better person, call on the name of Jesus. Or when you feel like you've got it all together, it's time to call on the name of Jesus. When you feel small or you feel big, that's the time to call on the name of Jesus and confess faith in the only one who's going to get us out of this terrible mess that we are in. Quit going to your filthy rags to validate yourself God loves us based on our identity, and God saves us based on Jesus' identity. Consider these words of the Apostle Paul. He says this, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. Today, we have the opportunity to embrace the work of Jesus and be transformed by His Spirit, His saving Spirit that will save one day from the terrible outcome of eternal death, but also saves now by transferring our human hearts into hearts of love and joy and peace and kindness. A transformation that is never, ever, ever going to happen on its own. So, as we come to an end of this uh, journey through the story of the resurrection and we turn our attention to new things, we turn our attention to the subject of fear, may God do in us what we cannot do for ourselves as we confess faith and call on his name and his authority to do what only he can do in us. May he do that for us today. Amen.